0: Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? Well, that was a bit of a surprise in the Super Bowl. I think we definitely proved our knowledge and our ability to pontificate about the game of football by our clearly inaccurate and awful predictions that we posted on this podcast last week. Yeah, a little embarrassing, right? We,
1: <laughs> uh, we nailed that one. Just <laughs> nailed it. The game was way under the total. It was a blowout, and it was in favor of Tampa Bay, so... Yeah, we're going to have to uh, lick our wounds here going forward. It's it's okay, though. We got, like, what, eight months before we can get back to
0: actual football. So it's going to be a while. Yeah, that's right. We went Chiefs and the over. Uh Let's start off with the warm-up, though. Super Bowl 55 uh, went down this past weekend. And so our p- little pregame topic, the little warm-up here, uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl 55 commercial, right? I mean, this – Probably was the Super Bowl that had the most viewership for the commercials because most people were at home watching this. You couldn't be there live. They did have a smattering of people throughout uh, the stadium over there in Tampa. But uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl commercial? Yeah, and you didn't have, like, the loud or large gatherings.
1: At least, hopefully, people didn't. Uh, you know, so maybe people were more inclined to turn the volume up and, and watch some commercials. They were probably disappointed. Like, I didn't think they were all, all in all that good. Like, maybe I could just pick none. Uh, I think I, I like the Cheetos ad, the one with Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, and Shaggy, the wasn't me mm-hmm. ad. I was like, you know, and that was, I think it came on after the halftime show. And so I was like, just give me more Shaggy. I don't need the weekend. That was a little disappointing. So just, <laughs> just give me more Shaggy in all of this.
0: Yeah, the, the weekend performance was a little bit iffy at halftime. Uh, I heard he put a lot of his own money into it and some more power to him. I don't believe he was lip syncing either, which is really great. But it's, it seemed like the sound wasn't mixed all that well and and I didn't know really and understand what the background dancers were doing look like they were wearing diapers on their heads. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the the weekend performance felt a little more like a weekday, if you know what I mean. It was one of the few times that I ever was happy that the weekend was over, if you know what I mean. But no, my favorite commercial, I think uh, I agree with you. I think that Cheetos one with Shaggy. That was kind of a funny tagline, too. He's he like, that's the first time that ever worked. Like that was that was a pretty good one. Much better than the Matthew McConaughey 3D Doritos thing. I didn't even understand what was going on there. He kind of issued a de facto apology about it on social media so uh, that's when you know it didn't really go over all that great but uh, we're in agreement there all right so with that we officially welcome everyone to this 57th episode of the let's talk sports with Kanoa lady and jordan Helly podcast we would have really been setting this thing up well uh, timing wise if it was our 61st episode and our guest was who it was because Jesse Sapolo, of course, famously wore the number 61, but the four-time Super Bowl champ with the 49ers, currently an alumni coordinator and ambassador for the franchise. I mean, he is Mr. 49er, uh, and of course one of the founders of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, Jesse Sapolo, just a great guy to talk to, especially on the heels of the Super Bowl. Um, really, really excited about having him on this show. We'll uh, be playing that interview in just a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, he is... a Gentleman in every sense of the word, right? And we figured to talk about the guy
1: who just won his seventh Super Bowl, we probably should call the guy who has the most Super Bowl rings of people we know. No disrespect <laughs> to Rich Miano or anything, you know. We, but we figured, you know, Jesse's got four, so it's probably the guy we should talk to here.
0: Yeah, we're on a good little football run, right? I mean, the, the season just ended, but we're on a good little football guest run. So we might as well uh, keep that going as long as possible because we ain't going to have football for a while. So, uh, So excited to talk with Jesse in just a little bit. All right, and with that, it's time for our game time. And we start with Super Bowl 55. The Buccaneers choked out the Chiefs 31-9. to Tom Brady, three touchdown passes. Uh, He was above 80% completion rate in the first half. Uh, The Bucs then rode Leonard Fournette basically in the second half and just closed this thing out. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay's defensive front, pressured Patrick Mahomes all day, and that too high safety look uh, allowed minimal shots downfield for this high-powered Chiefs offense. I mean, it was unprecedented uh, that Patrick Mahomes did not have a touchdown pass in this game. I think this might be the first game since he was named the starter for the Chiefs uh, that they lost by more than one score. Like This is just something that has not happened to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and this Chiefs offense. This just does not ever happen this way. And they were banged up up front, but I don't think anybody predicted this. I think we all admitted, hey, look, this this Tom Brady magic, the planets seem to be aligned, and we all thought it was a possibility that the Bucs could win this game. I don't think anybody saw it go down like this, though. How shocked were you by the way this thing played out? Yeah, I think part of the surprise – as I watched it unfold, and,
1: and yeah, you're right, I, I don't think anybody, even the folks that were out there picking the Bucks, you know, nobody was really taking victory laps. Like, oh yeah, we knew it was gonna be a blowout. But I think the surprise was, we should've known, right? We should've known that that recipe had a pretty darn good chance of working. The, the Tom Brady magic, do enough on offense, run the football, and then something we talked about extensively right was that defensive front of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the lack of offensive line help that the Chiefs had and so as you watched it play out it's like yeah maybe we should have maybe we should have given that a little more credence maybe we should have gave the Bucks a little more benefit of the doubt right I was on the podcast talking about how I don't know that Niners front from last year I think was as good if not better and then you know at the same time it's like well the the Chiefs offensive line wasn't nearly as intact as it was last year. And so it was, I think that was the the disheartening part. It's like, well, yeah, we probably should have seen this unfolding, maybe not to the tune of the fact that they were going to go out and win by three scores. Right. But the fact that it was going to work, that there was going to be a really hard time for the Chiefs to go about and do what they do on offense for them to get anything going. Right. And you got to give that defense all the credit in the world. Todd Bowles was outstanding in his game plan. They really didn't blitz. They didn't need to. Those four guys up front created all the pressure that they could have ever wanted against that depleted offensive line. And Patrick Mahomes was running for his life, right? Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea. And, and lost in all of that, I had somehow forgotten until like two days before the Super Bowl that the other defensive tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was Ndamukong Sue Like, he was, the, he was the forgotten guy for me. And I was like, come on. They, that, that's that's an incredible front right and that's all they needed they rotated guys up front and and they got after it I thought Mahomes was still magical at times right he hit a couple of guys in the face that they dropped he didn't, he didn't get any help from his offensive line from his receivers from anybody else uh and, and maybe that's you know a little bit too much Mahomes love but that that defense for the Bucks. and I think the way they won the game maybe not to the tune of the magnitude but the way they won the game I, I found myself thinking after I was like I should have saw this coming Then they went out and executed brilliantly, and you got to give them all the credit in the world.
0: Yeah, there's always that that would have, could have, should have from like a prognostication standpoint, right? Like, oh, yeah, we totally should have seen this coming, right? I mean, every time if you if you're every time I talk with anybody that bets on sports, right, they're always just like, oh (laughs) man, I should have won a thousand on that, you know, of course, (laughs) 2020 hindsight, but um, you know, I, I agree with you, I think at least we did point out last week. Uh, that this could be at the very least a ball game if Tampa Bay was able to get pressure with just four, thus not having to blitz their linebackers and letting Devin White and Levante David basically just be linebackers and and make plays defensively. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. Uh, The fact that they didn't have to blitz and they could hold their safeties in that sort of deep positioning, um, that's a recipe for potential success against this Kansas City Chiefs team. Easier said than done. Not all teams are comprised the way the Bucks are. And I think what we underestimated, certainly what I underestimated, was just how good the Bucks became after their bye week, right? They went undefeated, basically, after their bye week in the regular season. Uh, and they just got better and better. And I guess maybe it was... Uh, by comparison to the greatness of Kansas City, because, you know, they've been there, done that. We saw it come to fruition last year in the Super Bowl. Uh, and so I think it was it was maybe hard for us to gauge by comparison just how good the Bucs had actually gotten. But they were primed, they were calibrated, uh, and it was just amazing. And there is Tom Brady winning number seven in his 10th Super Bowl and looking as good as he really ever has, certainly in that first half. Uh, did this change much in your mind regarding your perception of Tom Brady? And, or Patrick Mahomes, because I agree with you. I think Mahomes was was still fantastic, right? I mean, the way he was just getting some of those throws off and still getting them basically on target. You're right. There were some drops. Travis Kelsey had a bunch of drops, but there was a clip on, on social media uh, of some of the Buccaneers receivers and like how flabbergasted they were and just how in awe they were of some of the throws that Patrick Mahomes was making, even if they were falling incomplete, they were calling him a magician. And that's so true. Like he was still unreal. And this is a guy who was playing with turf toe for crying out loud. So, you know, I, I think his reputation is still intact, but does this victory for Tom Brady or this victory over Patrick Mahomes, does it change your perception of either of those guys in any significant way?
1: Not in a significant way. Not in a significant way. It, it's crazy to think that after the six Super Bowls, right, the nine trips, all of these accolades for Tom Brady, like his legend can increase even more, right? If I think for most of us, we thought he was untouchable, right? Maybe the only guy who had a chance of catching him at least any time in the near future in terms of greatness, in terms of, of accomplishment on the field is Patrick Mahomes, right? That's, that's the guy we thought. And all Tom Brady did was go out and win the game again, head to head against that guy. And now all of a sudden, instead of six to two in terms of total Super Bowls, it's seven to one. And now it's like, it it seems even further out there. It seems even more nonsensical that anybody could ever get that close. And including the guy in Patrick Mahomes, who the only thing I will say about Mahomes now, and and I think for a lot of folks, it was going to take a loss to do that. Is he's not quite infallible, right? Because as you pointed out, they had never lost by more than one score in his career, right? That what was it—the last forty-something games they were like forty-two and one or whatever <laughs> it was, you know—or and two, I think, with the, with the losses going out this year or whatever it is, you know, dating back to last season, the run they went on to the Super Bowl and then basically up until this Super Bowl, like all of those numbers would lead you to believe, like, why would you ever bet against that guy, right? And it was going to take something like this, and maybe it was a team led by Tom Brady, and again, that defense was maybe the perfect kryptonite for what the Chiefs do offensively because the linebackers as you point out are as good as anybody in, in their sideline to sideline play and and what they do up front but it, it's it's so funny because the, it, it would have taken something like this for for me and a lot of people to say like yeah maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't isn't quite the superhero right he's still amazing but there is a chance to beat him because up to this point it was like that not not many guys had beaten him in games that mattered, and it was only Tom Brady really in the AFC Championship game, you know, three seasons ago. And so, yeah, that, it, it doesn't change a whole lot. I hope it doesn't go down to some big black mark on Patrick Mahomes' legacy or something like that. I think he will be back. I think the Chiefs will be back. But when it comes down to it, right, and you're having the water cooler discussion, it's going to be kind of hard to say that Patrick Mahomes is better than Tom Brady at the end of the day because back when Tom was a 43-year-old, he beat him. <laughs> It's, it's just amazing <laughs> it's absurd it's absolutely absurd um and so yeah it doesn't change too much it just somehow
0: makes tom brady's case even stronger after all these years amazing it just pours an extra layer of cement already on on this uh extreme uh hall of fame uh, legendary career for tom brady and, and you know he he played well also he's the beneficiary of having uh, having played for and on teams that had tremendous defenses, had tremendous defensive performances. That offensive line was really spectacular. Uh, the pulling guards either way were just superb in the running game. Leonard Fournette was was solid. Uh, it was all of that. And then you also had the officiating, uh, which was certainly towards the end of the first half, that key late touchdown for the Bucks. You know, there were some head-scratching moments there, but I, I think it was still – it doesn't detract from – Ah, uh, what you have to say about Tampa Bay and and their overall preparation, and just how well-roundedly good they were in that Super Bowl performance. Uh, it was it was epic, and they needed an epic performance to take down the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, we switched gears from the gridiron to the diamond, and we touched on this at the end of the last podcast, but uh, didn't really have a chance to delve further into it. Uh, Colton Wong going to the Brewers. That's right, the University of Hawaii alum, two-time Gold Glover, while playing second base with the Cardinals for eight years, signed a two-year $18 million deal with Milwaukee. That's right, he's staying in the same division. Now, this is interesting because that's going to be a pretty fun Right side of the infield, you have Colton Wong, who's going to be assuming second base. Keston Hura, who is a UC Irvine alum, we saw him play at Les Murakami Stadium. The guy was just banging balls all over the field. Uh, He's being moved to first base from second to make room for Colton on that side of the infield. So that's a pretty heavy hitting side of the diamond. Uh, You also have Colton Wong and, and that terrific glove and his glove work that are going to be now making plays in that same division in the National League. How do you feel about this move for Milwaukee? and Colton. And I understand you will probably continue to lament the fact that he stayed in the division but did not go to your beloved Chicago Cubs.
1: Yeah, I, I, right. That was my worst last week. And, and it was kind of <laughs> breaking news. It had just come out. So we didn't get a chance to dive into it a little bit deeper. The Cubs are too cheap these days. I don't know, man. I got a whole bunch of other gripes with when it comes to the Northsiders. Uh, but I, I think it's great for Milwaukee, right? It, it's you add a gold glove, gold glove, middle infielder, uh, you possibly solidify first base as well. Uh, it's something like each of the last eight seasons, the Brewers have had a different opening day starter at first base. Like how would, That's the, almost impossible. And so a guy they really like, right, in Hura, who can hopefully lock that down. You've got Colton Long there at second base for a couple of seasons at the very least. Uh, so it makes all the sense in the world for a Brewers team that, it, that is going to fancy itself a playoff team. Once again, they've they've been in each of the last what four or five years or something like that. Craig Council uh, has done an amazing job as their manager. Former Maui Stingray, by the way, uh, in you the up. Hawaii Winter Baseball League days. For Colton, um, it's obviously comforting, right? It's some place that wanted him, some place that comes out, but it still sort of signs a light, I think, on a on a bigger downturn, if you will, in baseball economics, right? He was set to make twelve and a half million this year had the Cardinals not declined his option. So it's it's a pay cut in a sense right testing the open market and everybody sort of saw that coming because if the Cardinals were going to decline that right it the the market the way everybody predicted it was probably going to be something less than 12 and a half million dollars average annual salary that is um meanwhile right you got guys like Trevor Bauer out here making Mm -hmm. 40 million this year for the for the Dodgers as they just signed him and I get it right it it, I'm, I'm not saying Colton is Trevor Bauer but boy that's That's a big difference between some of these free the the Rockies are paying the Cardinals basically to take Nolan Arenado off their books. I I just think it's further evidence of how broken like baseball economics are, you know, a guy who's coming off with two straight gold gloves. A guy who's been in the All-Star game recently in Colton Long has to take a pay cut coming off of a stretch like that. Like it doesn't make any sense when you really look at it. Meanwhile, some of the bigger stars right are getting these inflated offers and and some of the guys, sort of the middle class, if you will, of baseball. And I think Colton would almost qualify as like the upper middle class of baseball with what he's gotten in his career accolades and and what he's been able to produce. These guys that will take a pay cut. Like I get it, it's someplace, wa- someplace that wants him in Milwaukee, but I, I just feel kind of bad for the guy, right? It's like that doesn't really make sense that at this point in his career, you know, finding stability would also equal, you know, less average
0: annual salary than what he was set to make before all of this. And you're right, in this year, this COVID pandemic year, uh, and the loss of revenue because people couldn't go to the ballparks, uh, that impacts players and teams distinctly, differently. And unfortunately, Colton Wong came up on the wrong side of that, where he actually had to take a hit. Uh, But in the end, he is able to, I still think, prove his point. Uh, that he's a commodity. Uh, he goes to a club that wants him. He's in the division, so it sort of affords him an opportunity to, to directly get back at the cards, you know, if there is still any uh, possible animosity or ill will uh, based on the way the Cardinals handled his situation. Uh, so I'm happy for him. I think it is a good landing spot, uh, and I think that, uh, that side of the infield uh, with Keston and Colton, Colton and Keston, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch here over the next few years. All right, we move on, and Mama, there goes Dat Man, Baldwin grad Dat Nguyen, claimed the world title in the 135-pound division of the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. He defeated Johnny Bedford by unanimous decision after five rounds of blistering action. Uh, Nguyen was born in Vietnam but moved to Maui when he was eight Uh, He is a Baldwin alum, as mentioned, just like yourself, Jordan Helley. So I don't know how plugged into this thing you were. We have been introduced to bare knuckle fighting by uh, virtue of the fact that Kendall Grove, another Maui fighter, uh, also uh, participated in bare knuckle fighting championship a multitude of times. So your reaction to that hoisting the bare knuckle belt?
1: Yeah, locked it. Yeah, these Baldwin guys, man. We're going to – Kylou kind of claims the belt, but I'm telling you, man, Baldwin, we're we're getting in the MMA game, the mixed martial arts combat sports game, right?
0: That's why you're wearing your gi right now.
1: That's right. That's (laughs) right. Top only. Um, My classmate, Zach Zane, like literal classmate, same graduating year, um, also was on this card. Didn't go go as well for him. Uh, So we'll kind of move on from that. I know my guy Zach will be back. Um, but we made his bare knuckle debut in this, but that, I mean, the, the guy's 38 years old and he's out here. He's 23 and three as a professional boxer. Like that's, a, that is a very, very impressive record, right? He's won three straight in bare knuckle. Uh, he defeated a guy in Bedford who had been five and zero, right. In the bare knuckle fighting championships, he put on quite a display and, and what he's been doing there out in the bare knuckle. These guys are crazy. First of all, just absolutely nuts. Uh, but you can see, right, that is a cerebral fighter. Uh, that left hand is something else. Uh, and, and so for for him to climb to the top of the mountain, right, maybe it's not your traditional, maybe it is your traditional if you're talking bare knuckle, but, you know, in terms of modern promotions and things like that, uh, it's a little bit of a securitist route. But the dude is a world champion. Uh, and and at, at his age, right, for him to battle through all of that, he was incredible as an amateur, right? We, we we know all about that background, Golden Gloves, and what he did in, in the collegiate ranks, and and tried to, you know, maybe get to an international status. But but for him now to kind of reinvent himself and find this rebirth is is pretty darn impressive. Um, and it's crazy because you you mentioned you know he's a Baldwin graduate, of 2001. Uh, he's he's not even the first world champ from that graduating class. Like he's classmates with Kurt Suzuki. <laughs> Those guys are in the same graduating class, and they're both world champions. We I mean, know Kurt, obviously, from his his World Series win a couple of years ago. That class is loaded, by the way. They had, like, Caleb Rowe, who was, like, an All-American swimmer at Cal. Uh, Nicole Garbin, who was all Pac-10 at Oregon and I think, multiple sports. Um, they, I'm missing, like, four or five others. That class was absolutely
0: loaded. But they've got two world champions now. That's amazing. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. You know, I have to admit, even when Kendall fought in the Bare Knuckle Championship, I wasn't very plugged in. It kind of on the surface level strikes me as being a little brutal, right? And so I actually took the time to watch, sit and watch with a, a level of, of interest and attention that I hadn't quite given in previous uh, bare knuckle fighting championship events. And I gotta say, if you can sort of get past that, that top layer of like, all right, they're not wearing any gloves, the aesthetic nature of the brutality, it was pretty gosh darn entertaining. You know what I mean? Like it's two minute rounds. uh, And I'm not sure if every fight is like this necessarily, but these guys just kind of stand toe to toe and they swing. Uh, And because it's two minute rounds, like they got to go because time is of the essence. And yet it's still five rounds. And so, you know, in this day and age where we are all about the instant gratification, right? Uh, We get mad if it takes more than two seconds for your phone to download something on the internet. Um, So to that end, I kind of think this bare knuckle fighting championship might have legs. I don't know. I actually was really thoroughly entertained by that fight, uh, and I thought that win. Maybe it's it's just in his style of fighting, uh, but I think he definitely lends uh, himself to uh, being a fighter that uh, people will want to watch as he goes on to defend his belt. Yeah, he's an exciting guy, right? Right, spunky fire plug. Um,
1: yeah, Shaq was there. Like, it seems like it's growing. It seems like it's growing in credibility. I haven't necessarily bought one of the pay-per-views yet. I've seen some of the highlights. They're pretty good about putting stuff up on, on YouTube and whatnot. The promotion is, uh, so you can catch it after the fact. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It seems like it's growing, right? Kendall might be a trailblazer. Kendall also, I can't, I can never remember if he's their classmate. Or he's like a year or two apart, but he also might be their class, uh, which just just says a whole lot. I don't I don't know if he's an 01 grad, 2000. 2000 I, I can never remember. I got to ask him the next time I see him if he, if they're all classmates or not.
0: Yeah, you need to start uh, getting into uh, jujitsu a little more actively, Jordan. Start fitting in with some of your fellow Baldwin brethren. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Kendall's got a gym. I might have to call him up. <laughs> All right, we move over to the hardwood and the UH men's basketball team. Got a big showdown this weekend. Back-to-back nights, they're going up against UC Santa Barbara. Hawaii has won three straight, coming off of a sweep of Cal Poly. And, of course, that unlikely overtime come from behind victory against UC Irvine the previous week. Santa Barbara, meanwhile, they've won eight in a row. So, Jordan, having watched what has transpired here for the University of Hawaii, winning four of their last five, are you buying this as a battle of two of the hottest teams in the Big West Conference right now?
1: Yeah, I'd say so, right? And for, for the University of Hawaii, you know, maybe it was fortuitous that they got the, the Cal Poly series, you know, rescheduled. They didn't they haven't been on the road in a while. Uh, this seems like a team that, you know, it we, we joke about rock fights and, and making games ugly. And that's kind of what their MO was, right? After some early season losses. Obviously, the the huge series against UC Irvine where they split could have easily won both of them, maybe even could have easily lost both of them, to be quite honest, but found a way to eat that one out. Um, They're a team that I think has sort of found a level of confidence and maybe playing some of the bottom feeders in the conference is helpful to that, right? But sometimes you just need to see the ball go in the basket. But they seem to be playing with a little more fluidity offensively. They seem to be playing with a little more confidence offensively. And then you pair that with what we've seen you know, the the last five games or so where they have upped the defensive intensity, right? I, I think they have they have fully embraced that as their MO where they're gonna make things really difficult on opponents and, and gonna make them make it where they're a real pain in the behind uh, against a lot of these opponents. And and if you can find a little more offensive consistency, you can find a lot of wins, I think. And and so to take on the gauchos who are, you know, a team that or on everybody's radar, right? You read the bracketology, you read some of these post these, uh, postseason previews and whatnot, and they're, they're the logo that pops up for the Big West right now. Uh, and so often it had been UC Irvine, right, all
0: these years. Uh, So
1: it's a huge opportunity for Ron Gadot and his guys this
0: weekend. Yeah, UC Santa Barbara coming off of an unexpected bye week. They were supposed to play a couple of games against Long Beach State, uh, but those got canceled because of COVID issues. Uh, And so while they were rolling, eight wins in a row, probably didn't want to mess up that rhythm. Uh, I think uh, head coach Joe Pasternak probably still appreciates the fact that you know, any players who are dinged up, banged up, that gave them a little bit of time to to maybe strengthen up and get healthier. And so they're gonna be coming full power here into Honolulu and into Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center, equipped with maybe the conference player of the year to this point, if you were to just take the votes today, and that's Ja'Cory McLaughlin. Uh, he is an Oregon State transfer, but this is a guy who is their top scorer, their top assists guy. So this is a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And they also have one of the best big men in the conference. And Amadou So, uh, a guy who is leading the conference in rebounding, he's also averaging over 11 points per game, uh, has expanded his game to be able to pass better out of double teams. And uh, so this is a big time challenge for Hawaii. You're right. I think the focus on the defensive end, that's always been the calling card for Ranganat and this coaching staff. It will continue to be so, but now they have to find a way to limit a team that's averaging 80 points per game. Uh, so this, is, this has the makings of being a, a signature type of weekend for Hawaii, a weekend that could, in essence, set themselves up here down the stretch and into the conference tournament and possibly the national postseason if they can perform well uh, here this weekend. Because uh, the rest of the schedule, quite frankly, it sets up pretty nicely for Hawaii. If they can at least get a split this weekend, uh, if they can somehow pull off two victories, all of a sudden, you're, you're talking about Hawaii maybe being in the mix uh, for one of those top couple of seeds uh, come tournament time. So uh, I agree with you. I, I, I do buy this as being uh, an intriguing weekend matchup, probably the, the most intriguing matchup in the Big West Conference this weekend. And with that time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping, and that is our conversation with Jesse Sapolu. Uh, He was great. Talks about certainly the... Evolution of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, the Polynesian Bowl was not able to be held this year. He gets into some of the inner workings of that, as well as how this whole pandemic has affected his role with the 49ers. He talks Niner football, and then he gets into some of the GOAT conversation about Tom Brady versus Joe Montana, a guy who he snapped balls to and played in front of. So uh, very, very cool stuff we'll uh, be hearing from Jesse Zapolo. Let's just get that thing rolling. Hey, what's up, Jesse? It's great talking with you again. And I guess uh, congratulations is in order, right? In addition to several Hall of Fames that you're already a part of, uh, you also got inducted into the Hula Bowl Hall of Fame just a few weeks ago. So uh, yet another addition to the resume.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's great, you know, because it brings back uh, a lot of great memories. You know, the Hula Bowl was, uh, other than the Senior Bowl, was the game back then. uh, and for Rich to try to revive it and then uh, to have the honor uh, to be selected uh, with that group. you know it's a, it's a great thing and very honored to uh, be uh, part of it.
0: Yeah, it was pretty remarkable that they were even able to hold the Hula Bowl under these circumstances uh, because usually, or at least the last couple of years, the Hula Bowl was uh, at least chronologically somewhat associated with the Polynesian bowl. And of course, that game wasn't able to be held. Uh, here this year, uh, and that left quite a void. I think everyone has really grown to to love that event. Uh, what was that like from your perspective? Just having to, you know, be a part of making that call and and just all of the the difficulties that this pandemic has presented.
2: Well, uh, we were the last one to make that call. I, I think the uh, the uh, Adidas All American Game uh, Under Armour made that call early, uh, but we waited as long as we could. But uh, with the polynesian bowl there these are high school kids and uh, with the restrictions and uh, what could possibly happen if there's a positive test uh, you know parents have to be in a decision making because some of these kids are not quite 18 yet so uh, which is a little different with the hula bowl because these kids are adults uh they want their chance uh, to be exposed uh, and hopefully the, uh, to get invited to uh, the combine or a chance to get drafted uh, so it's a little different. Uh, you can take, I, I think you can take a little bit more of a chance with those kids because they can make decisions on, on their own.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, definitely. How has life been for you here over the course of the last 11 months or, or whatever it <laughs> is now? Um, alumni coordinator and ambassador with the 49ers, uh, you would usually be in the stadium on game days, and you'd be very much involved in that way in person. Uh, also, your men in the trenches, uh, camps for offensive linemen. How has all that been impacted?
2: Uh, it's impacted a lot from the standpoint where I took traveling for granted, you know? <laughs> and, and and I miss it now because uh, sometimes I would travel twice a week uh, up to San Francisco, uh, to get a chance to mingle with the fans, you know, community relations-wise. Uh, we could go to games. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you, you you miss that, but you know, uh, and then as you know, the Niners ended up uh, being kicked out of Santa Clara to go and have our home games in Arizona. So that that's crazy, and uh, but we're all going with this thing by feel, and, and uh, we, we always worry about safety and, and that uh, uh, that kind of thing, and uh, it's it's been different uh, with the high school camps. You know, I kind of enjoy having some time off, you know, because I've done men in the trenches for over 11 years. And and, uh, sometimes it takes its toll uh, being consistent to do it, uh, to make a difference in kids' ability to play football. So uh, it was nice to take a little break. Uh, I do a little bit more private training, but uh, I'm looking forward to the new year and things hopefully getting close to as normal as possible.
1: And just Jesse, uh, you know, kind of circling back on some of the the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame and, and we talked a little bit about the bowl games and whatnot, but uh, there was still a, a class that, that that's going to be inducted this year um, with, with the Nongas, Al and Nico, and Charlie Wiedemeyer. Um, what are you, just your thoughts on the class in general and, and you know, where this is kind of going now and, and where sort of the, the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame has gotten to at this point in its progression?
2: Well, uh, because of uh, unforeseen circumstances and the pandemic that we're dealing with, uh, we're gonna induct two classes uh, uh, in 2022. Uh, uh, We have three uh, uh, with uh, the Farrington boys, the the Farrington brothers, and of course, Mr. Wittemeyer. And then we'll probably choose uh, three, maybe four, depending on how strong the guys that have retired Uh, come in depending on what the selection committee and and the inductees vote on. So uh, we're looking forward to 2022 to induct two classes. And uh, with the Polynesian Bowl, all the kids that got selected, uh, we sent their gear to to them because they deserve it, uh, whether they they came and played in the game or not. Uh, And then we're looking forward to uh, 2022, not only with the Polynesian Bowl, but also the 49ers season.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt uh, is doing some great stuff, and then, then of course, you guys are giving out awards, right? Then the the Pro Football Polynesian Pro Football Player of the Year is the Buckner, a guy I know you know very and well. Obviously, it's, taking it's, the path I, from Alo. I,
2: I I fought for for Defoe because he was an alternate to the Pro Bowl, um, last year, and it was close close call. And when he was with the Niners, you know, uh, I wanted him to win that award. Um, uh, no question about. It, he got ripped off. Uh, uh, in the Pro Bowl this year, and and I, I know a little something about that stuff, but <laughs> uh, but he made first team all pro, so uh, that made it easy for us to select the uh, uh, the kid from Waianae as our uh, uh, NFL Player of the Year.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing, right? The the way this thing has progressed, and and just now the the prominence of all of these guys in the league, and, and some of these ambassadors, and I think the other part, right? And, and you talked about right, it, it's a lot given back with your 11 years running the men in the trenches uh camps defoes, kind of doing his thing giving back to the community here um it just sort of seems like these guys have that innate sense you know whether it's representing solely the polynesian culture or just their communities of of this give back right this this service that they they sort of uh embrace along with their startup and what they've been able to do but it, it, you kind of get the sense from a lot of these guys that you deal with some of the polynesian guys
2: uh, no question i i i think uh The fact that uh, we've been contacted by the National Football League Hall of Fame, uh, that they were interested in having a little section of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame in Canton. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to meet on it uh, as a board. Uh, But, you know, when when you gain that kind of attention from Mr. Baker, uh, it, it gives you the feeling that what you're doing is the right thing and uh, gaining a little clout, so to speak. So uh, there's a lot of exciting things that uh, we're looking forward to uh, accomplishing. Uh, We were looking to go to independent Samoa uh, with Tua and Juju and some of those guys and hold a camp there this past June. But all that is is on hold because of what we're going through. So uh, we've got a lot of plans, but I I try not to get too hyped about it because uh, I don't want the disappointment because we we don't, we're not quite sure how much longer this thing is going to drag on. I think the vaccine is going to give everybody uh, the confidence. Uh, not, not that you're never going to get it, but uh, the, the death rate will definitely drop. Uh, you're know, you you're going to have flu symptoms and that kind of thing, but it's nice uh, to have uh, the confidence that you might not end up in a hospital. I think once uh, we get used to that, then things will start coming back to uh, where it needs to be.
0: Yeah, well said for sure. You know, one thing that has happened, even with the Polynesian Bowl being canceled this year um, and, and you know, this whole venture, the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, what it has represented, uh, obviously born out of the idea of let's honor this very rich tradition of Polynesia's influence on the game of football. But what has been kind of an interesting byproduct, at least that I viewed from the outside looking in, is how it's, it's created this fraternity for not just former players, but current players, even players who are on the rise. Uh, it has really kind of centralized that feeling of family among players of even just partially Polynesian uh, descent and, and ancestry. Do, do you get a sense of that too? How it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's really created this, this epicenter for all things Polynesian football.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I, I think what's neat about it is that uh, we wanted the kids of today to embrace uh, the people that trail, that, you know, trail to, uh, blaze the, the trail for them to get it to this point. I mean, you, you look at yourself, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the Zoom. Uh, we're trying to honor people that your grandfather and your dad are covered, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and now this is a generation that. Uh, comes back to honor those uh, that came before them. And you're covering that. So uh, that's the connection. That's the beauty of it. Uh, it's the fact that we have a community. Uh, uh, considering the size of our community, this is one sport that we seem to thrive on when you look at a, on a per capita basis. So how can we not honor uh, something that not only uh, brings us notoriety uh, as a people uh, from playing the game. But I always say this, you know, if there's a Polynesian girl that's in uh, San Francisco or in Pittsburgh uh, that goes in to apply for a job that got a master's uh, f- for something. And the CEO of that company happens to say, where are you from? Are you Polynesian? Also, you know, Troy Pulamalu." You know, uh, we don't want everybody to think that football is the only way uh, that we can be successful but that influence of, of, of football players can help our other youths like girls that want to uh, thrive in whatever they want to do in, in the corporate world so it's it's a big vast picture that we're trying to promote uh that benefits our whole community uh, i know it's it's represented as a polynesian football hall of fame uh but it the the the, the reach is a whole lot more than that
0: sure and and the baseline of utilizing that sport for and you know as a means to an education, as a means to a living, as a means to a lifestyle, you know that' stuff that uh, can impact generations to follow you, you yourself, obviously a prime example of that. Um, where are you when it comes to your theory of why? It seems as though there is such a rich connection with people of Polynesian ancestry and that specific sport. What is it about football? Is it the team, almost tribal dynamic of it? What What do you think draws so many um, of your ilk to that sport?
2: Well, if you look at our history, you know we're we're, we're warriors. We're fishermen. You know, we work out in in the fields, in the plantation. We plant. And that's how we fed our families. So we're a people that uh, that were founded from labor, uh, so to speak. And then the fact that a Polynesian kid is very normal for a thirteen-year-old to be two hundred sixty pounds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> helps, uh, yeah. I, I I played with I played with Lyman, uh <laughs> that Caucasian uh, Lyman that that would have three meals and three milk uh, 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 sports shakes just to keep their weight on. You know, and yet here we have. Uh, 14, 15-year-olds that are 265 pounds, 275 pounds uh, without even lifting weights. This, they haven't started lifting weights yet. So our gene pool is, at that particular time when I was coming up, uh, everybody knew, well, wow, these Polynesian kids, you know, they're, they're, they're not real, real tall. You know, me at 6'3 was, was real tall at that time. Now we have 6'6 six, six guys, right? And, uh, but the, the thing about it, that was what I was saying back then, is we were 260 pounds as 14, 15-year-olds, but now we got the Marcus Mariota. You know, Jack Thompson was an anomaly. You know, we third pick in the draft, and then we went with nothing for a long, long time. But now we got Marcus, we got Tua, uh, we got Taulia, and then we got uh, the kid as a Clemson, uh, DJ Uyagalile. Uh, we're starting to open the door uh, that Polynesians are not only linemen <laughs> and a few linebackers like the Junior say out and every now and then we got a dd the, the door is starting to open uh for us to prove that we can play quarterback and and the funny thing about it is not too long ago uh the african-american community which is a whole lot bigger community than we are we're trying to fight to prove themselves that they can play the position and look not too long ago. And the Polynesian, uh, you know, uh, kids are starting to come up. And who knows, you know, we already got our Heisman Trophy winner. (laughs) You know, we're looking for our first uh, All-Pro at that position. Uh, But it's going to happen quicker than you think. Because I think, I think Taulia is going to be one of the top quarterbacks uh, in college. But I think the kid from Clemson, uh, starting next year, might be the main guy. So <laughs> so what are the chances of that? And not too long ago, Tua was the main guy until he started getting uh, th- some injuries. So uh, you look at our numbers as far as how big our community is. To have quarterbacks that were possibly ranked number one, uh, two guys in three years, what are the chances? Uh, so I'm, we were so very, very excited about that.
0: I just love the idea of all of these national broadcasters having to practice names like Vailoa and Uyangalale. Like that just makes me happy, you know. Like you gotta, they gotta, they gotta earn their stripes when it comes to some of those pronunciations.
2: They 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 might be thinking we're doing it on purpose that (laughs) the the kids with fifteen vowels on their names play quarterback, you know, (laughs) and the guys with shorter last names like Sapolu can go play lineman. So uh, I hope they don't think. We're doing it on purpose, but but that's a great point because Tango Bailua and Uyangalele are not the two easiest names to pronounce. So uh, we're excited about uh, the possibilities, and we have other kids coming up. Uh, I've seen some uh, seven, eight graders that can really throw the ball, and I think part of that is the ability for these kids to travel mm-hmm. and get proper training. You know, so uh, uh, we're looking forward to it. I think the other thing that,
1: you know, we're, we're seeing guys now, a guy like Kalani Satake, excuse me, right at BYU, head coaches, guys, coordinators at that level, at the high level, collegiate level, you know, getting into decision-making positions, right. As you point out, quarterback, head coach, coordinators, maybe even front office and things like that. Is that kind of a next step thing as well for, for guys like Kalani to get opportunities to, to lead programs at that
2: level? Uh, No question. Uh, No question. You know, we, uh, the very first class, uh, of the Polynesian football hall of fame. Uh, we honored Kennedy Montalolo because he was our one guy that was established at the time. Well, you know, coach Sataki had a great year this past year Mm -hmm. and if he keeps that up, uh, he'll be the next guy to go in, but we're not going to stop there. You know, uh, Right now, again, we, we compare to a much bigger uh, community uh, w- with the African-Americans. You know, they, they're they having their battles to to try to get more head coaches in the, in the National Football League and obviously in college. But uh, we're kind of riding, uh, you know, riding that wave a little bit uh, uh, because we've got a lot of assistant coaches, too, that are qualities. My son is a coach. Uh, he's an offensive line coach at Fresno State. So uh, I know he's got a client. Uh, he's got to do his thing. And, uh, but honestly, the more Sataki and New Matalolo become successful, it helps all of our coaches that are assistant, uh, not only in, uh, in college, but, uh, uh, you know, we have, a, a, the quarterbacks coach at, at Denver, uh, is half someone, uh, you know, the, the head coach at Colorado, is uh, his grandson, uh, so. Uh, we're looking forward uh, to our kids uh, climbing the ranks, not only as players, but definitely as coaches.
1: Yeah, it, It's absolutely great to see. Uh, I'll switch gears on you here a little bit. Uh, just just want to kind of ask you on the state of the 49ers, right? You're the, you're the community engagement guy. You're the, you're the <laughs> alumni ambassador. Uh, I've never seen a team battle through all those kind of injuries that they had to this year. I'm a huge Kyle Shanahan guy. It seems like the water is a little lukewarm on Jimmy Garoppolo. What's it like there? What's it like, you know, in the building and and where kind of the 49ers go from here just, to, you know,
2: a year removed from getting to the Super Bowl? Well, number one, when you sign a big contract, you, you got to try to stay on the field. Uh, so when you're hurt two out of the last three years, of course, you know, there's going to be some noise. Uh, there was noise when that Joe Montana was playing because, you know, Uh, people felt like Steve Young should have come in. You know, there was a Steve Young fans back in the day. Uh, But, and this is before social media where Hmm. only the newspapers, uh, the main main TV channels is where you hear. So it wasn't as much noise. Now, every individual has a right to make noise. And some people create that noise. Uh, Be careful what you wish for. uh, Because I think when Jimmy's healthy, He is good enough, which he's already proven, to take us to the Super Bowl. And we were 10 points up on Kansas City with about, what, seven minutes to go. So um, everybody wants Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, uh, that type of quarterback. But I think what we've learned, you know, Patrick Mahomes, is that if you have a front four that can get after the quarterback, (laughs) you don't have to have the very best quarterback. You know, you can have a top-ten guy and win the the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, uh, obviously, Tampa Bay's front four, including the Polynesian kid, uh, Vita there, that pushed that pocket, uh, got off the uh, Mahomes. I've never seen Mahomes run like that uh, for his life a little bit. Uh, And and that was really the key to the game, is is the Tampa Bay defense uh, hold that talented uh, uh, crew of receivers. And, of course, the guy that they're already trying to crown as as the next great thing, which deservedly so. I mean, he's already won a Super Bowl at a young age. but but with the 49ers, number one, uh, you're right. Absolutely right. I've never seen anything like it. Key players, key players out, you know, Jimmy uh, Kittle, uh, you know, Bosa was out in the second game of the year. And, and uh, uh, Solomon Thomas, obviously the year before, and then we lost Defoe because we couldn't afford him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they played as big of a role as Jimmy was the year before. That front four of getting after the quarterback. Uh, that's part of the reason why we went to the Super Bowl. And then we lost two of our running backs. You know, uh, uh, Coleman and and uh, Mostert. I mean, uh, it, it, and then receivers Debo. Debo Samuel's missed a lot, a lot of games, but you know, is people gonna feel sorry for you? Absolutely not. But you're absolutely right. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it comes to the point where I'm thinking, are these guys soft, or, or what's going on, you know, or is our training guys uh, mm-hmm. not rehabbing these guys uh, well enough? Because uh, I know other teams had injuries too, but nothing like what the 49ers went through. And and hopefully uh uh that's that's done with uh this year and, and and uh we can get back to it.
0: Yeah, it might be time to bring in a Kahu or you know some, someone that can uh, apply a blessing on the organization there to absolutely. try and keep everybody and healthy.
2: You're you're absolutely right. I, I I was thinking somebody's got a voodoo doll somewhere on the <laughs> <United>. <laughs> I mean it, it seemed like it that way. You know, uh when thing things went south, it really went south for us this year. Uh, but the fact that we have a young head coach uh, that's as innovative as anybody that I've seen, and I played for Bill Walsh. Uh, uh, his his dad was my last coordinator with the, with the San Francisco 49ers, Mike Shanahan. So uh, I think he's young enough uh, that if we can fill in some spots uh, that we need help on, we want to be competitive again.
0: You know, I'm interested to hear what you think about all of the goat talk that surrounds Tom Brady after winning now his seventh Super Bowl. And, you know, you played in front of a quarterback who I think a lot of people would figure if if not Tom Brady, Joe Montana's the goat. You also won a Super Bowl with Steve Young. So, I mean, you, you, you've you had experience with, with some really, really great quarterbacks, legends of the game. Um where do you stand on the reference of Tom Brady as the greatest of all time being that you have that connection to Joe?
2: Well, you know, I was one of those guys that, and I still feel that way uh, because I'm biased. I have to be biased. That's my quarterback, but you got to give it to Tom Brady now. Uh, Not because of anything that we did not do, you know, Joe, no doubt, was the most dominant of his generation. But Tom Brady has dominated his generation more than Joe did. And for that reason, I think he's the greatest of all time. How can he not be? Uh, Now, were there teams uh, in New England that could beat our 85 team, our 84 team, our 90 team, and our 94 team? Absolutely not, Uh, I don't don't think. Evans is measures up to Jerry rice or good Godwin measures up to John Taylor. Uh, I, I think Jones, uh, is good, a good running back and the, and the kid that they got from, uh, Jacksonville, yeah, I don't think, but well, I don't think they measure up to Ricky waters and, uh, Roger Craig. So, uh, but you know, I don't want to sound like an old guy that saw <laughs> great, you know, my next claim right now is. Tom Brady got it from somewhere. And he was a candlestick in the stands watching and, and watching the people that influenced him to be this great. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Niner fan growing up. So uh, I think the greatness of Tom Brady, and I'm tired of sports uh, broadcasters. I'm tired of them. Uh, and I, I, I like him, but I'm tired of them saying that uh, Aaron Rodgers is that bad man. Because uh, obviously, they're looking at how he releases the ball. They're looking at his ability to maneuver the pocket. But nobody's looking at the heart and the leadership of Tom Brady. And this is the reason why I think he's the greatest of all time, because he dominated his, his generation more than we did ours. But, uh, but the greatness of Tom Brady is his ability to change a culture to come over from one team that's already had a culture established and made everybody believe. And it wasn't easy, believe me. When they got killed by New Orleans, nobody thought, you know, Tampa Bay was going to be anywhere. Kansas City toyed with them in the first quarter the first time they played. You know, if it was any other quarterback that struggled during the middle of the season, that three or four-game struggle, they would have let the team go south. But Tom Brady is so strong mentally and still believing himself so much that it, it it influenced everybody else you know and they fought through that little struggle they had in the middle of the season and they corrected it and they they won the last seven games the greatness of Tom Brady is not so much the passage he throws but he is his will to will everybody else to want to be champions and it's an honor to watch him perform right now. Uh, I'm secure enough to say uh, he's the greatest. Uh, but if my guy is in the conversation, then I'm good with that. Well, and my and guy I, is definitely in the conversation.
0: That's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. Undeniably. Um, and I imagine that, you know, even though you didn't play with Tom Brady, um, you can assume that the similarities as far as his presence in the huddle and the way he's able to lead these monster men and these behemoths around him uh, would be very much in line uh, with Joe Montana, right?
2: It's it's the most underrated part of the game. It's the most underrated part of the game. You know, you hear stories about uh, Joe Montana coming in. To, we have to drive the ball 94 yards to win the game. And he spots John Candy during the timeout. You know what that does to a huddle? You know, because I'm thinking, Jess, please don't hold. You know, people from Hawaii are watching. People from Samoa are watching. And you're the only Polynesian on the team. Please don't hold. Not on this drive. Don't hold. They're going to blame the game on you. So the nerves are there a little bit, you know. But when Joe comes back from a timeout and the referee's yelling at me to, hey, it's TV timeout. Jess, we got time. And we're standing there and Joe spots John Candy. It brings a lot of, calmness to the huddle. If the driver of the bus is that calm, then we got nothing to worry about. That's the greatness of Tom Brady right now. You know, uh that's the stuff that when you see Aaron Rodgers do a pretty pass, and Aaron is great too. Tom Brady, if, if you look at contracts, right, nobody ever mentions Tom Brady is the highest paid quarterback. You know, because Tom don't care about being the highest paid quarterback. As long as he's respected enough to make enough money, everybody knows how great he is already, but he much rather not be the highest paid quarterback, but have enough money to bring other people in to help him win. That's the greatness of Tom Brady. He doesn't need uh, to to throw the ball, you know, 30 times a game to feel great about himself. He doesn't need to be in the newspaper as the highest paid quarterback where if, if you have seven Super Bowl rings, who do you think deserves to be the highest paid player in all of the NFL? But we don't talk about him that way because that's not, not his number one priority. His number one priority is to win championships. And that will, for me, as far as I, I'm concerned with what built the 49ers during our dynasty years is winning. Winning championships has to be something that, uh, People are saying, "Man, that guy's crazy. That guy's crazy. Doesn't care about anything else but winning." And that's what Tom Brady was. Yeah, it's amazing, right? I mean, you got there four times, right?
1: Which is an absurd amount. And to think that this guy has seven. I thought it was.
2: I thought (laughs) it was. You know, (laughs) it's not easy to get there four times. (laughs) Uh, This dude, man, he's got there ten times. I mean, think (laughs) about that. Yeah. Think just think about that. Eight years just to play in the NFL. It's a great career, eight years. To get to the Super Bowl (laughs) 10 years, that's absurd, you know? I mean, the one thing that we have that we can hang on to that Tom Brady can't take away is when we played, we were undefeated in Super Bowls. (laughs) But, But this dude, man, I mean, the reason why everybody's sitting at home, the number one reason is Tom Brady. You know, he he is – his influence and his sharp focus, the ability to just block everything out on social media, you know, uh, who wants to get traded here, who's not happy with this team and wants to get away from that team. Tom Brady's not about that. Tom Brady's about winning. The only reason he's not in New England anymore is because we all know, you know, even though they haven't officially said it, is Belichick wanted to move on from him. That's the reason. And yet he's moved on and took another organization that before that never believed it and made them champions.
1: Yeah, that, that is amazing. I got to circle back to John Candy because I don't think we ever asked you about it. Uh, and and I know you brought it up so do you do you look over and and find john candy or you are you are you in the huddle thinking like all right Joe look we got like, like you're saying right you're going through your head and're you like, I can't screw up here like well
2: what is that moment like uh it like I said it calmed everybody down because Joe's approach is is this more like hanging out with the guys at the park you know uh, uh, and then what allowed him to say that is the referee held us we got to wait for the commercial to be done you know uh and and that's the only time the 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 timeouts are a little longer and as he held us in the huddle you know joe just kind of looked through the huddle and uh said to our right tackle harris barton hey h look at john candy and you know john candy's a pretty big guy we can (laughs) we can find him on the sideline and you know even though like you said i was thinking all those thoughts of one play at a time. Uh, please, Jesse, don't commit a penalty, you know, that kind of thing. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the only Polynesian, I'm the only kid from Hawaii on the team. And, and, and you're aware that the whole world's watching and, and, and the people from your hometown, you know, they, they want to be proud of, of, of you after the game, you know. And, and when you're in that situation, man, you know, it, it, it really tells you uh, what you're about as a person. If you can, you know, um, if you can perform under that kind of, well, part of the reason why I was able to perform is because my quarterback was calm. You know, he gave us the confidence to go out and get it done. And there's only two ways you can go: you either get it done or don't get it done. <laughs> and uh, Joe played a big part as far as giving us that confidence. We're, we're going to do this thing. And it's the same way that uh, Tom has influenced the, the Buccaneer uh, organization and made them champions
0: well it's uh it's great uh being able to reminisce with on some of that with you and, and to to get your viewpoints on on football in general and certainly as it pertains to the polynesian football hall of fame and it's just great talking with you and, and we could we could do it all day uh but uh, we don't want to uh, monopolize your time jesse uh just wanted to say thank you it's it's always a pleasure and um we we can't wait to hopefully do it again sometime
2: well thank you guys uh it's it's uh pleasure to be with you guys but i just want to say one thing you guys are pretty good but uh, not quite as good as jim lay <laughs>
0: no that's that's also an <laughs> objective observation that is that is fact right there i'm, I'm
2: biased i'm sorry i'm biased guys
0: <laughs> that's right
2: <laughs> thanks for having me on all right you, you take care you jesse care. Yeah, you take care thank you
0: all right time for our post game <laughs> Best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. So uh, I'll start off with my best because it's pretty flippant, and I think your best is the better of these bests. Uh, I'm going with Drunk Brady <laughs> just because uh, it's Tom Brady. And he was on, uh, on this one of the boats in the boat parade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the other day. And I guess he got pretty sauced, man. And he was walking off the boat as if his sea legs were given out. He was sort of getting guidance from one of his guys, uh, a la Weekend at Bernie's type stuff. And, uh, and I just thought that was something to behold. Like Tom Brady, 43 years old, living his best life. So much more likable. Doesn't it seem, now that he's in Tampa, as opposed to when he was in New England, maybe it was just sort of the overlording of Bill Belichick, uh, kind of uh, preventing these guys from really letting loose. Uh, But, uh, you know, Gronk is always Gronk. You don't really see that side of Tom Brady too much. So uh, I was all for it. He's tossing the Lombardi trophy between boats. Like, drunk Brady, man. You do you. Yeah, and anybody who's over here
1: criticizing him, oh, look at him, He's, he's just sloppy. He can't walk straight. You're just jealous. You're just jealous, man. People don't even need an excuse to act like that half the time. The dude just won his seventh Super Bowl. Of course, of course he's going to get blitzed, right? Absolutely trashed. That was my favorite part is the guy walking him through the gate (laughs) to wherever the on-land portion was and just holding him up. Like I think the weekend at Bernie's uh, comparison is absolutely (laughs) perfect. Imagine the level of superiority you have to be at where you're like, I'm just going to throw the trophy across (laughs) a waterway to another moving boat. Like, can you imagine – I mean, obviously, he's won seven of them. Gronk has won, what, four of them with him as well. But just just to be like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do that. That's incredible. Incredible to me that you would
0: just – that it would even cross your mind. You know, a lot of people get in that – condition a lot of people sort of get bombed like that just because it's a Wednesday Tom Brady's doing it because he's celebrating his seventh Super Bowl uh, title you know of course the sauce is going to hit him a little harder his TB12 diet there's not a lot to handle the alcohol intake in a situation like that so yeah you know Tom Brady's probably kind of a lightweight uh, because of the TB12 diet but uh, more power to him all right what's your best
1: (laughs) yeah my best uh maybe cause for some celebration uh, but Kona'aina <laughs> graduate Chanel Molina, who starred at Washington State, arguably like the greatest, you know, woman's basketball player the state has ever produced. Maybe maybe the greatest, right? If if she can go on and parlay this forward, but she's uh, she's playing over in Sweden. Uh, she's averaging 18 points, six boards, four assists, uh, just north of all of those hard numbers for her Swedish team. But she has signed a training camp roster contract with the Indiana fever of the WNBA. Uh, so Chanel's got an opportunity to go make the team, maybe make a regular season roster in the WNBA. That's, uh, that's some rarefied air for, for Hawaii basketball players, right, to, to make it to that level, uh, whether it's the NBA or the WNBA. Uh, and kudos to Chanel. She keeps, she keeps sort of trailblazing, uh, was just one of the best high school athletes you would have ever seen, and then what she did at Washington State. Um, and how Washington State has just welcomed every Molina sister there to campus in Pullman. A couple of her younger sisters are still there. Um, Incredible. And wish her the best. But, uh, yeah, WNBA training camp signing. So she's going to finish up her Swedish season, I guess, and then come back over because it's usually a summer league, right, the WNBA. So that's something to look forward to for the Hawaii Hoops fans.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, We wish her the absolute best. And, And you're right, she's a great representative and just an unbelievable baller. So uh, keep hooping it up, and and hopefully she gets a chance to do so uh, in the WNBA long term. All right, we move over to our worsts, and I'll go on this one. This could actually be a best, but it depends what perspective you're on. So I'm going with worst from the Tampa Bay Rays perspective. So Wendy's, the fast food joint, uh, they put out a tweet uh, saying that it's time for everyone's made-up social media holiday favorite. It's National Roast Day. So I didn't even know anything about National Roast Day. But basically, Wendy's is saying, drop a roast me request and feel the burn. So the Tampa Bay Rays, of all people, uh, decided to respond here to this. And they said, go ahead, Wendy. Absolutely roast us. Keep it spicy like your nuggets. And Wendy's came back and said, we're surprised you didn't pull your social media manager in the middle of writing that great tweet. Hashtag. National Roast Day. That was a pretty good burn, obviously, sticking it to the Rays uh, for some premature pulling of a effective starting pitching. Uh, and so that was, uh, I think, a pretty good pretty good response there from Wendy. So uh, maybe that could be a candidate for best in some circumstances, uh, but I'm going to go with worse because what are you guys doing, Tampa Bay Rays? Just got to keep quiet. Stop, uh, stop putting yourself out there uh, and, and making yourself exposed for that kind of harassment.
1: Yeah. And like, look, Tampa Bay has been the center of the, the sports world, right? The lightning in the NHL, the Rays are the one team that doesn't get it done, even though they got to the, the championship series or game. Uh, and the Bucks, obviously now winning the Super Bowl. So you got to kind of just sit out if you're the Rays, right? Or you're just going to get roasted. Uh, and some of those social media accounts, especially for the fast food chains, are pretty darn hilarious. The only thing that would have made it better, did Blake Snell like the tweet or <laughs> retweet it? Because that would have just been the cherry on top.
0: That would have been. That would have been perfect. Yeah, I'm not sure. Will, we'll need to investigate a little further, uh, but I agree. I think a, a retweet or a like from Blake Snell would, would be the perfect touch. All right, what's your worst?
1: Yeah, my worst. Uh, the NBA, they're, they're going to play an all-star game? Why? But it, They're insistent. LeBron and everybody else is like, what are we doing? What are they doing? Doesn't it seem like a terrible idea to take like your 24 biggest stars, put them in one building? in the middle of COVID where every team is now missing games and guys are testing positive and guys are close contacts. You look at Kevin Durant, right? He's got to miss like a week because he was he was not wearing a mask next to somebody who tested positive or whatever it is. it is. It seems like a terrible idea. Now mm-hmm. they're going to put a dunk contest at halftime or something. Like, what? we don't need this. You know what basketball fans want to see? The playoffs, a championship series. Like,
0: we don't need an all-star game. Yeah, because what is an all-star game really for? It's it's an event for the fans, right? For the fans. It's, 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 it's so. They're not so gonna it's go, it's, and they're not gonna be there. So why are you even doing this thing? You know, it's very similar. The NFL, even of all of all entities, the NFL decided to just nix the Pro Bowl and have guys play Madden. Uh, it sends the wrong message, especially because the NBA is like suspending guys for. Uh, not taking some of the protocols and regulations seriously. They're pulling Kevin Durant mid game because of contact tracing, um, which is really strange. So, you know, they're, they're making all of these very severe decisions on behalf of the COVID protocols. And then they're going to go turn around and say, all right, but let's have an all star game. That seems a little incongruent. So I agree with you. Good worst there. You had a, you had a couple of good ones today. Best and worst. Our best and worst brought to you by Waves Pro Hawaii Maui, owned Maui, operated for Maui's people. That's it for us. Hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at Talk Sports 808 if you have any questions or comments. Uh, Jordan, we'll do it again next week, my man. Have a good weekend, man.